This Star News Media Podcast is presented by North Chase Family Dentistry. Open evenings, Saturdays, and they probably take your insurance. Visit them on the web at NorthChaseFamilyDentistry.com. And by Tidewater Heating and Air Conditioning, servicing all major brands with highly trained technicians who are the best the industry has to offer. Serving Wilmington and surrounding communities for more than 40 years. Learn more at TidewaterAC.com. early 20th century, there was nothing quite like experiencing the Cape Fear River from the deck of Captain John W. Harper's Steamboat Wilmington. Known as the pride of the Cape Fear, the ship is the stuff of legend in this region, having ferried thousands of its residents and tourists up and down the river from Wilmington to Southport. In the age when steam-powered boats were a practical and even entertaining means of travel in coastal communities, there was no finer ride than a trip on the steamer Wilmington, with Captain Harper at the helm. She arrived on the Cape Fear River on April 28, 1891, from Wilmington, Delaware, a happy coincidence that allowed her to keep her name. She was 130 feet in length, drew six feet of water, and chugged along at nearly 16 miles per hour. At capacity, and she was usually operating at capacity, the Wilmington carried 500 passengers each way. Seeing her cut through the river with flags flying high and the hum of laughter coming from her decks was a beloved sight in this area in the early 1900s. She docked at the foot of Market Street and later Princess Street, where she was seen in all her glory until she was sold in the 1930s. Harper had died in 1917, but the legacy of his steamer had lived on without him. So too does the story of the winter night that he, his crew, and a single passenger supposedly encountered the specters of two men pulled right out of a ghost story. Harper could never explain what he saw that night, but even for the man who had seen it all on the back of the Cape Fear, it was this encounter that always shook him to his core. This is Cape Fear Unearthed, the podcast exploring the persisting legends, historical oddities, and mysterious figures of southeastern North Carolina. I'm your host, Hunter Ingram, and I'm a reporter for the Star News here in Wilmington. I want to welcome everyone to another installment in our ongoing series, A Cape Fear Unearthed Halloween. For this month-long series, each episode is going to take a different form. Last week, I told you the vast history of Poplar Grove Plantation and the spirits that are said to still linger in its hallways. This week, 
we're going to scale down our focus to a single ghost story made famous by the one and only James Sprunt, the local historian known as the chronicler of the Cape Fear. What I find so fascinating about this tale is that it's a stealth Christmas story. In the same way that Die Hard and Gremlins are Christmas movies for simply having the holiday season as their backdrop. This is a quietly thrilling tale of an eerie encounter that has direct ties to a story dating back to colonial times. A tale that was told directly to one of the Cape Fear's greatest writers. For this special series, we won't have any guests. It's just going to be me telling you these stories campfire style. So pull up a log and settle in for the next chapter in a Cape Fear unearthed Halloween as we hit the water to share the chilling legend at the heart of James Sprunt's A Colonial Apparition. biting storm of sleet and snow is seldom seen in Wilmington. For many years, the winter season passed with scarcely frost enough to chill the poor. And then, a Christmas season came that will long be remembered for the rigor of its cold. That's how James Sprunt begins a colonial apparition setting the scene with a different kind of chill than the following story is likely to elicit. He doesn't specify what year this holiday season storm rolled into the Cape Fear region, but it's likely to have happened around the turn of the 20th century. According to his account, the storm was a vicious one, with strong winds and below freezing temperatures turning sheets of rain into frozen daggers of sleet. The region hunkered down for what turned into three days of harsh conditions. When it finally began to dissipate, reports of sunken ships and roofs torn off homes began to circulate. By then, it was Christmas Eve, and Captain Harper was preparing to ferry a slew of travelers and their wrapped gifts on one final passage for the day. Unfortunately, a malfunction in the engine's furnaces stranded the vessel in Wilmington, forcing all but one passenger, known simply as McMillan, to disembark in search of another means of travel, or at least a warm escape from the cold. Left with his lonely passenger, Sprunt wrote, the captain's social quality prevailed, with main brace spliced, tobacco pouch, and pipes, an hour was spent in cheerful chat, from which the skipper learned some pleasant tales of old colonial times. As the sleet battered the ship outside, the two men drew their conversation from the circumstance and resilience of the Scottish Highlanders who migrated to America after being forced out of their homeland in the 1700s due to a number of factors, including a failed attempt to overthrow the British crown. Hundreds, and eventually thousands of them, made their entry through Wilmington 
as early as 1739, many settling along the Cape Fear. Although these two men were passing the final hours of Christmas Eve, regaling each other with stories, these weren't your typical bedtime stories to send kids to sleep so that Santa could come. The men didn't shy away from the gory details of some of the barbaric executions and harsh realities that the Highlanders bore witness to before making their way to America. One story they reportedly told this night was that of a man named James Dawson, who had been party to the rebellion and was sent to the gallows with his wife watching from the audience. When the lever was pulled, he didn't die, but hung for several minutes before he was cut down. His wife rushed to cradle his body until he was taken away to be disemboweled with the executioner's knife and his heart thrown in a fire. Again, these stories were hardly in keeping with the holly jolly season, but they did inform the tragedy of the main story that Macmillan was about to spring on his host. After Harper inquired about Cape Fear tales in particular, Macmillan began telling the story of two Highlanders executed at Brunswick Town at the end of the Revolutionary War. Having now captured Harper's full attention, Macmillan claimed to have a personal connection to the story. His great-grandfather, William Macmillan, was a Scottish Highlander from Edinburgh, who was supposed to be the third man executed on that fateful day. One stipulation of the Highlanders' migration to America was that they support the British crown, especially as the rebel colonist began to stoke the flames of rebellion. Despite that loyalist mandate, William Macmillan had been persuaded by the Patriot cause, becoming what Sprunt refers to as a Highland Whig, Whigs being those colonists who defied the sovereign's hold on America. This made William and others like him a target during the war. According to the story, he and two other Highlanders were captured by Colonel David Fanning in September 1781 as he swept the area around the newly captured Wilmington for traitors. They were taken to Brunswick Town and held in a prison ship anchored in the Port Brunswick Harbor. Soon, they were retrieved from their cells and given a laughable excuse for a trial before Fanning sentenced all of them to immediate death. In the few moments given to prepare themselves for the end, Macmillan shared with Harper the likelihood of their resounding grief for having escaped the brutal war in Scotland only to die on the banks of the Cape Fear in America. The two men were taken to a wooded area near Governor Tryon's former home at Brunswick Town, known as Russellboro, tied to a pine tree and shot by a firing squad. William McMillan was then bound and brought to the same bloody spot. Only the British officers had underestimated his strength. He managed to break free from his escorts and made a run for the woods under heavy musket fire. 
McMillan told Harper that his great-grandfather ran all the way to Robison County, where his family had put down roots. There, he lived out the rest of his days in peace, until his death in 1800. It's the tragedy of those two men who didn't fare so well that spawned a ghost story. For years, in the dead of night, people at Orton Plantation near Brunswick Town claim they saw two young men rowing a boat off the shore in search of a ship to take them far away from the tragedy that befell them along the Cape Fear. As soon as McMillan finished his story, Harper was notified the steam engine had been restored and was ready to make its late journey through the grim weather to Southport. It was a brutal ride for all, inspiring McMillan to tell the captain that even in his time as a blockade runner during the Civil War, he had never experienced such rough conditions. The snow made it nearly impossible to see, so it was jarring when the boat slammed into the jetty just north of Orton Plantation. No damage had been done, but the ship could do nothing but wait until the tide rose and freed her from the unintended mooring. The crew and McMillan once again crowded around the fire, except for Peter Jorgensen, the first mate who walked the upper deck, patrolling the boat and the waters despite the blankets of snow. Sprunt said the young man warmed himself with thoughts of Christmas's past in his homeland of Denmark, until he was jolted from the fantasy by the sight of a man appearing out of nowhere on the deck. He was clad in, quote, rough, dripping garments, with hair and beard unkempt and flecked in snow, and a face distorted with agonizing dread, end quote. He held onto the railing with one hand and pointed out into the distance with the other, toward Sugarloaf, a large sand dune found today in Carolina Beach State Park, directly across from Brunswick Town. Jorgensen questioned the man to no avail, and by the time he reached him, he had vanished into the night. Terrified, the first mate fled to his captain with the story, only to be told he was drunk and laughed off. Harper only agreed to search the ship for the apparition after Macmillan told him that Scotsmen like himself were taught never to dismiss such superstitions. Harper was playfully angered by the claim that a ghost had made its way onto his ship, but soon he began making jokes that maybe this was just the first of many dead visitors that they would encounter from the graveyard of the failed settlement of Charlestown, which was close by. Nothing came of searching the ship, but by the time they were done, the tide had risen enough to dislodge them from the jetty, allowing their seemingly endless journey to continue. Conditions had calmed by now, with only the howl of the wind piercing the silence. Then, what sounded like cries for help cut through the night. The men on board weren't sure what they had heard until it happened again. Harper slowed the boat just as it passed Sugarloaf, so his crew could scan the darkness 
for the source of the sound. It wasn't lost on anyone how close they were to the sight of Macmillan's story, especially Jorgensen, who was still shaking from his encounter earlier in the evening. But they continued to search for the origin of the noise until Jorgensen noticed an outline in the distance. It was two men clinging to what Sprunt described as an ancient rowing barge that looked to be covered in hundreds of years of slimy seaweed and barnacles. The men were bound by chains and dressed in what appeared to be tattered Highlander attire. On their faces were expressions of despair. Harper ordered they heave a line to the men, but before they could, the barge disappeared in the choppy waves. The crew waited to see if it would pop back into sight while Harper worked to steer clear of the shoals. After a few minutes, out of nowhere, the steamer Wilmington almost collided with a capsized boat, on which two men were clinging to the hull. However, they weren't the same men as before. After struggling with the tossing of the waves, the crew managed to pull them aboard. And to his horror, Jorgensen recognized one of them as the man he had seen earlier on the deck. He was stunned, as were Harper and McMillan, who couldn't deny that the man matched the description given by Jorgensen. Once the two wayward sailors warmed up and came to, they revealed that they had been on a ship bound for Nassau in the Bahamas when the unseasonably strong storm sank their boat, overcame their fellow crew members, and left them to cling to a rowboat and scream into the void for help. The man Jorgensen saw didn't remember anything about meeting him earlier in the night, but he did admit that he had sunken in and out of consciousness while freezing in the water. All of the men made it safely to Southport, but Harper couldn't shake the night's events. What had they truly seen out there on the water? Could Macmillan's story about the ill-fated Highlanders still searching for their way home be true? He would go on to tell the story to Sprunt firsthand, unsure of what he had seen, but certain that it was worth sharing with the region's most respected historian. As he made his way home that Christmas morning, Sprunt said that Harper took a moment to look around and admire the rare sight of a snow-covered Southport and the first rays of sunlight in days as they glistened off the icy water in the harbor. Had they really encountered two colonial ghosts stranded in a watery purgatory, he wondered to himself. Harper never knew the answer, but in that moment, even the man who had made a name for himself as the Cape Fear River's most beloved captain was just happy to be home with his two feet on dry land. That's it for this latest installment in a Cape Fear unearthed Halloween and the story of James Sprunt's A Colonial Apparition. Thank you so much for joining me. 
We'll be back next Thursday with a new tale from our haunted history book. Until then, be sure to share your thoughts on the show on Twitter with the hashtag CFUnearthed. Or you can email me directly at capefearunearthed at gmail.com. Also, please make sure that you're a member of our Facebook group where listeners can ask questions about our episodes and share their own memories of the region's history. In that group, I post extra content for each episode. And this week, I'm going to be posting a photo gallery of pictures of Captain Harper's steamer Wilmington. You can find that group by searching Cape Fear Unearthed on Facebook. And don't forget to sign up for the Cape Fear Unearthed newsletter that goes out every Thursday. In it, I'll include links to our new episodes and any supplemental pictures or videos I uncover in my research, all delivered right to your inbox. Sign up for the newsletter at starnewsonline.com newsletters. As always, you can get a list of all the books, articles, and resources used in researching this podcast in the show notes of each episode. Kate Fear on Earth was written, edited, and hosted by me, Hunter Ingram. You can find more of my work at starnewsonline.com or on Twitter at Hunter underscore Wesley. Additional editing is done by Adam Fish. This podcast is made possible by listeners and readers like you. Support local journalism and Cape Fear Unearthed by subscribing to the Star News today at starnewsonline.com slash subscribe. And while you're subscribing to things, be sure to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcast or wherever you stream the show so you never miss an episode. And while you're there, leave us a review which will help more people find Cape Fear Unearthed. Until next time, get out and explore the Cape Fear region on your own. You never know what spooky things you might unearth. Unearthed.